Welcome, welcome. This is episode number four of our new podcast called Behind the Wheels. My name is DJ Artistic. I am a DJ and a music lover based in Los Angeles, California. And I'm joined right here with my host named EB. EB, what's good? What's up, people? I am EB. I am a soul music and black culture loving musicologist, writer, blogger, and content creator based in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, Brooklyn in the building. So, uh, this is Behind the Wheels. We talk about everything music. We talk about the old school. We talk about new. We talk about what's going on. So today's episode, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about some current events that are going on right now. We're going to rewind it and talk about some artists you haven't heard from in a while, along with some new artists that are coming up. And we also have a uh, a battle for you, as always. So we're going to go ahead and get it started right now um, and just kind of catch up on everything going on right now. So one of the biggest topics happening right now were those Grammy nominations. So, Evie, I'm sure I'm sure you saw those nominations. I did. I saw the well, I really only paid attention to the album, the R&B and the rap categories, but okay. I did see them. Um, I was happy that they included uh, some old heads. I'm glad to see yeah. that Let was there. I'm glad to see that uh, Gregory Porter was there, even for Brittany Howard, you know, to be in um, R&B performance category. I was glad to see her. Beyonce is there. And I feel like I feel like Beyonce is there. It's a pity Grammy. It's like, we want you to start mm. showing up again. So we're going to give you, <laughs> oh, wow. because they wow. picked Black Parade. And yeah, out of yeah. all of the songs, they picked Black Parade. Like, oh, they think that, I guess she's going to start coming again if they give her an honorary Grammy or something. I don't know. I could see it being that way. Because, that I mean, she had songs that, that were a lot bigger, especially within that. Yeah. In the last year and a half. I'm not sure if the Lion King songs would count, but even the stuff that she dropped from, um, was it Black is King? If any right, of those right. would count. Kind of, kind of some of the same songs anyway, but some of the newer songs could have been even bigger. But I mean, if if it works to get her there, I mean, I, I guess you could roll with it. And I feel like this year's Grammy was interesting because it, it was a lot of folks who still complain. Every year people are going to complain for different reasons, but it's interesting and it's kind of showing that there's like a, a generational gap happening, especially with rap. So yeah. with the, the rap nominees, it was the most like... I don't want to say the most hip hop nominees ever, but the most anti-commercial, I'm going to call it the most anti-club. And it's like, on one hand, it's where, you know, usually it's been kind of the opposite. It's where you have whoever had the biggest pop hits is always nominated and they always win or even Mm -hmm. people who are more mainstream. But those nominees were crazy. Seeing J Electronica, seeing the homie uh, D Smoke from Inglewood in there, Mm -hmm. seeing, um, seeing, Race to five nine, seeing Nas finally get up in there, and finally, you know, yeah, and just seeing, um, seeing the way that they're all nominated, Freddie Gibbs, seeing Freddie Gibbs up there, so it's like it shows that whoever is really making these decisions, they're actually like hip hop heads who are about the lyricism, who are about the content, right? And now you're seeing the backlash from the commercial heads or from the the trap heads or the young folks who feel like, why well, was Lil Baby not in it? He had the biggest album and had the the most, you know, success this year, uh, billboard wise. And the way I see it, I'm happy the way it is, but I wouldn't have been mad if a little baby was nominated, but seeing how it's always been so commercially based, I was happy to see the, the nominees this time. Yeah, no, I think, um, people forget the Grammys are basically the Grammy committee. They are your peers in the industry. So yeah, for people yeah. that are actually listening to your music, um, and, Anybody just can't get a Grammy nomination. You have to actually submit it for That's true too. the nomination. So 
a lot of times people are like, oh, what about this? Or what about that? It's well, maybe the artist didn't submit that. And if yeah. they did, you know, maybe it just wasn't as good as you think it is. But mm. which yeah. is, you know, people, you know, we all have our our uh, personal taste, like the rap category. I would love to hear Nas. I would love to see Nas. I would love yeah. for Nas to get finally get a Grammy because he's been doing this since the early 90s. Yeah. But um, if I went on who I think deserves it, <clears throat> probably D-Smoke. Hey, hey, That's who I think deserves it. But I mean, Jay Electronica, you know, I was happy to even see his name. And finally, I mean, like, it took so long <laughs> to drop it. And, and I mean, it's technically a Jay-Z collaboration album, which makes it even crazier. But yeah, but finally, yeah. I mean, because we were supposed to get an album how many years ago? And 11. 11 yeah, years and you finally gave us something. And the, your first effort was nominated for a Grammy. So, I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, I agree with that. So I feel like it's one of those things where. I'm happy to see where it is. And I think D Smoke in, uh, is similar to where when Nipsey got his nomination, like mm-hmm. Nipsey didn't win. And I knew, I mean, honestly, I know he wasn't going to win it, but I was just happy he had the nomination. And a lot of uh, his his big fans, especially here here in L.A., but even outside of L.A., felt like, like it was nonsense that Cardi won over him. And <laughs> in that moment, it's like I get Cardi had the biggest commercial project. So, of course, she's going to get the most attention. So right. I was like, we should be happy that Nipsey got that nomination, period. So with D-Smoke, if he doesn't win because Nas wins, I won't be mad because I was just happy and shocked to see him in there, period, because those singles didn't have any radio play, didn't have commercial play. It wasn't in the club, but he made a pure project that was fire from top to bottom. So I was just happy to see it happen that way. And Along with the Grammys, uh, one of the biggest things we've been talking about is the next verses coming up. So the next one is going to be uh, Keisha Cole and Ashanti. Hey, Oakland Keisha versus Cole. versus New York, though. Okay, so it's it's like one of our beat matches. So New York will probably win if if I had to make a prediction because we are recording this before the actual verses airs. We are. If we talking just hit for hit, if I'm non biased and I'm being honest, hit for hit. Keisha Cole got it, in my opinion, really? only okay. because her songs are, um, well, Ashanti's more commercial, I'll say that, but sure. Keisha, Keisha's had, like, a great first 15 years of her career in terms of, like, mm-hmm. having a hit off of every album um, and, and constantly yeah. being in the in the light. Like, you know, she started off, started off on a TV show, a reality show, so mm. pe- people love to talk about Keisha Cole. Mm. Mm, I guess people might talk about Ashanti, but I mean, for what reason? Because all she does now is just look good and she looks great. Yeah, I mean, she does. She had her run. She had her run. She had her hits, but that was for a good, what, five year period, I think. And then she kind of. She had a strong four. Five. Yeah, maybe five. I mean, see, I was being nice. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it's one of those things where I feel like, yeah, um, at peak, yeah, Ashanti was way bigger than Keisha Cole ever was. Like, yeah. the Foolish and all those songs came out, the Ja Rule type songs. Like, mm-hmm. Ashanti had a higher peak, but it's it's so... I would say Ashanti does get a little bit more points at this point for nostalgic value. If right. this had happened six, seven, eight years ago, it was when the 90s were still more hip than the 2000s. Now, the babies who grew up in the 2000s, that's their, their, their nostalgic point. So mm-hmm. you are hearing a lot of these Ashanti Jaru songs more than you heard them six and seven years ago. So that might help her to an extent. But I feel like so I think if you're looking at their top five songs, like 
whatever Keisha Cole picks is like her top three, four, five songs. Yeah, Keisha's winning those. I feel like love. It's nothing that Ashanti can drop that's matching love. Like, like no. love, love songs. I play love. I put clips up playing love at a club and at, at day parties, and I cut the entire chorus out and beatboxing. Women sing that. Everybody, yeah. Like every inflection, all that. So Ashanti, you can't really like sing any Ashanti song like that. She so, couldn't either, but um, none <laughs> of right. none of the none. Uh, let me stop, Ashanti. We love you. None of the yeah. songs that Ashanti has um, to put up against a Keisha Cole song, like you said, it's now the 2020s, and people are nostalgic yeah. for that early 2000s feel. Yeah. Ashanti was really relying on her samples and uh, sure, sure. the production. She was relying on Irv Gotti for a lot of you know the stuff that she released. I loved a lot of it. You know, a lot of that stuff I still yeah. listen to. She has album cuts, um, but Versus is about, you know, the singles. It's about the hits. She doesn't have the hits. And like you said, Keisha Cole, when she dropped Love, yeah, it's, it's, it's over for Ashanti because she has nothing that's comparable to that song. Not at all. And even even Let It Go. I play Let It Go every week. Let It Go Listen, still. Somebody yeah. said... Uh, Missy Elliott has never once said new Ashanti, but she did say new Keisha. <laughs> this this so is true. If we go on by that, new Keisha. Keisha. But I mean, it's yeah. still before the battle actually airs. We don't know, but these are just my, that's just my prediction. My prediction is that Keisha got it just off GP. Yeah. I, I actually love them both. I would go back and listen to certain songs. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie and say whole albums, but certain songs. Songs um, only. Yeah, songs only. But yeah, it's it's Keisha's. Keisha's. She's taking it home. I can see that. I would say, so my whole thing, I would say Keisha's taking it if it's only based on songs that Ashanti is singing on her own. If they count right. the songs she wrote, <laughs> then it's over. She got a little bit of, yeah, she got an advantage yeah. at that point. Even some of those J-Lo type songs. Yeah. And her features, she has stronger features. I'll give her that. She well, people wanting to work for her, yeah. She yeah. had a lot of, her features were a lot stronger. Yeah. Just her connections in general in the industry seem to be a lot stronger than Keisha's. Yeah has ever been I, I guess he should work with missy and monica and uh but i can't really name other diddy, people yeah diddy. yeah diddy kanye you know kanye, yeah, kanye, yeah you know but yeah, she, she, she wasn't doing that. yeah yeah so yeah with that i do think it's gonna be keisha so we're gonna see what happens with that so going into our next segment it's gonna be called rewind in this segment we just talk about artists that um we loved in the past and that we still love, but that don't always get mentioned every single day of the week, like the, the main artists that we love the most, I guess you could say. So with that, um, I'll go ahead and I'll let you go first. What artists would you like to talk about that we haven't really discussed in a while or that doesn't get their just due? All right. So I'm going to uh, introduce to some and reacquaint to others. Um, Angela Winbush. Angela mm -hmm. D. Okay. Winbush. She is... Uh, one of those artists that has made such a huge impact on the industry and her work really speaks for itself. I mean, she was a part of Renee and Angela and most people will know yeah, yeah, that sure. they'll know, you know, songs like, uh, I love you more and I'll be good. And, um, you don't have to cry. My first love, like all these songs that were really hugely. Yeah. The original. Made, yeah. 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 She was doing this, but what people don't know is that she is one of the most amazing writers and producers from the eighties. Um, Angela Winbush actually wrote Young Love on Janet Jackson's debut album and Young gave Janet Jackson, Whoa. yeah, she gave yeah. Janet her first top 10 hit. It was, you know, Angela's wow. pen that did that. And then I think when you talk about the merging of hip hop and R&B, people don't mention her, but 
um in mm-hmm. I guess it was 85 or 80 85 yeah they had um Curtis Blow she and um Angela Renee and Angela had Curtis Blow on uh Save Your Love for Number 1 that was one of the first whoa, R&B whoa. songs to feature a rapper I think the first prominent one that people will know is probably um oh, I feel yeah. for you by Shaka Oh yeah Shaka yeah I'll yeah. say so they'll be like say- yeah, yeah, because I was thinking either Joey Wiley, friends with Rakim, they all in that yeah, same era, but I think, the what, same, yeah, yeah, they all in the same era. I think the difference, like, um, like Shaka and Angela, it wasn't a like you know, today we think of a feature with a rapper, rapper's doing a verse, and you know, it's got his own part, not not so much then. So that just she gets points for just featuring a rapper on a song before people were even doing that. Um, and just I mean, she's written for. Like Layla Hathaway and Stephanie Mills, uh, Rufus and Shaka, the Isley brothers, Sheena Easton, her and Ron Isley were actually married. And I don't know if a lot of people remember in 96. Yeah, so she Uh, she actually was the reason that the Isley brothers had this huge rejuvenation in the 90s with the younger crowd because she began after her and Ron got together and got married. She was the person that was writing and producing their albums. So even when they had floating on your love, yeah, floating on you remember floating on your love, the video, yeah, one twelve. That was Angela. She Angela was in the video. Fresh, they were. Yeah. Okay, if I see the video again, I might remember that because they came back with a whole new style, but it it didn't sound dated. It It didn't didn't sound sound like they were trying. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And that was and that was partly just because of who she is. Um wow. you know, she started in the 70s and her and her biggest works were in the 80s, but she was always willing to work with different sounds, different artists, different different genres. Um even Treat You Right with her and Chucky Thompson. Chucky Thompson produced that for her in 92. I'm sorry, okay. Chucky Booker. Chucky Booker. Oh yeah, Chucky, Chucky Booker. Booker. Yeah. yeah. Chucky yeah. Booker produced that for her in 1992 and that was a huge hit. She only had 3 solo albums of her own because she just stopped making music in 92 but wow. her influences still felt like you still when you hear um biggie on i love the dough or when you dough. hear yeah. jay and foxy on i'll be or when you hear kiki and avant took my first love my and first like, love. yeah huge hit that's because of angela wimbush those are all originally her songs so she's my rewind for the week because i think people really need to go back check her out check out everything that she's been doing Oh, much respect to her. I definitely agree with that because she is from that same era, similar era as even Patrice Russian and a lot of those women who yeah. I feel like a lot of women in that in that era don't get just do. I feel like you yeah. always hear about the main, about the shakas, about the patties, the and then earlier Aretha who was still still there in that era. But yeah. it feels like a lot of them do get kind of like lost in in that translation of eras because yeah. they she wasn't like a big star during the new Jack swing era. So it's like our post that. So if right, you weren't right, there at right. that time, you might know her name, but you don't realize how much impact she had. Yeah. Her impact was huge. And like I always tell yeah. people um, during that time, you know, like you said, you had the big names, but then you had the other people who I felt like they just belonged to us. Like, the yeah, Beverly's. like yeah. I'm like, yeah, like uh, Angela just belongs to us. You know, it's a lot of people don't realize what she's done, but when you hear it, you'd be like, Oh, that's Angela Winbush. Or when you see her, because she's beautiful, always been that's beautiful. True too. Yeah. Then you'll, you'll be like, Oh, that's Angela Winbush. And then, I mean, her, she revived the career of the Isley brothers. You know, these cats that's have been the huge since, the 50s, since yeah. the 50s, like, and they were able to just keep current and move with the times. And part of that was Angela Winbush coming on and writing and producing some of their albums until they got divorced, but they're still yeah, friends. Yeah. 
It's still cool, yeah. Yeah, they still cool. Keep that friendship. That's crazy because I didn't realize that she's the reason that they came back. So, yeah. so definitely, uh, much respect to her. Mari Wang is from a similar era, actually. The group called One Way. Yo. So One Way. So the thing about them, um, they're a group that just like a lot of the groups in that era, they started off and they were more on the kind of soulful R and B tip, and they gradually evolved into that more funk, but which we jokingly call in LA the Jerry Crow funk era. So it was that real synthesized funk era that mm. is most prominent by uh, Roger and Zap. So yeah. with them, the thing about One Way is that they get overshadowed a lot of times, especially by Roger and Zap, but they had a very similar sound and style. And they had, um, I would say their biggest hit is probably just as big as Roger and Zap's biggest hits are, are close. So their biggest hit, of course, is Cutie yeah. Pie. Yeah, everybody knows Cutie Pie, and it's been sampled a million times. Um, it still it still goes hard. It's just like a lowrider type of classic. But uh, one way, just like Roger and Zap, just like a lot of those funk groups, um, came from the Midwest. They came from Detroit. So the Midwest also, I always feel that, that the Midwest gets slept on when it comes to music, they especially when, when it comes to funk, because we mentioned the Isleys. The Isleys came from there. Ohio players came from mm-hmm. Ohio. So a lot of these groups came from that Midwest, and and in that era, I mean, they they were dominant. So they had a lot of a lot of funk songs that are still sampled to this day, and you still hear a lot of songs that people don't realize came from them. So um, for for a lot of West Coast rap fans, they're familiar with like two short songs, "Don't Fight the Feeling," and DJ Quick had a song called "I Don't Want to Eat It." Um, Sugar Free had a song remaking uh, Quick's version, and The Game, Eric Bellinger, Problem have all used the same beat from One Way song called "Don't Fight the Feeling." And mm-hmm. also they had a song called uh, Mr. Groove. Mr. Groove, I don't care if you can't dance. When that song comes on, you start pop-locking to it. It just has that that feel. And if if you can't pop-lock, you're skating to it. Like, they ran that whole skater's lane. And one thing, uh, speaking of the women in that era, uh, a lot of people don't realize that Alicia uh, Alicia Myers came from that group. Yeah. So Alicia Myers, uh, she came, when she left uh, around, I'm guessing, 81, 82, uh, her biggest song was probably I Want to Thank You. And that's just a mm-hmm. straight-up New York, like, still. like uh, New York classic, right there with Jones Girls, yeah. Nice Over Egypt. Like you're gonna hear those songs back to back. Still. And that song is straight classic. But she was with them before um before they went all the way like Jerry Crow funk. They had hits in that era and they even had the slow jams. They had if you play your cards right, like you hear that song, that's that's just a groove. So still. Yeah. So um Al Hudson, first of all, he's he Al was a man yeah. for one way, but he's a genius, in my opinion, because you talked about um if you play your cards right, but they also had um, Don't Ever Stop Loving Me, which is a, oh. a groove, like a quiet storm classic. And then Alicia Myers on her own is one of my favorites ever. Um, I, I, we've talked about the Teacher Moses thing a lot, like that sample from um, You'll Never Find a Better Woman. That is, yeah, it is. Yeah, Alicia's, Alicia's yeah. voice. And then she had like Mr. Goodbar, but one way, like you said, they don't get credited. Um, and a lot of it is pro- probably because she, they're Midwest. And you had me thinking, because a lot of the, the Midwest sound is not properly appreciated now because we are quick to jump to like East Coast or West Coast. And their sound was very West Coast, in my opinion. Like when I think of that sound, I'm like, oh, that's West Coast. Like, yeah. what do you call it, Jerry? What do you call it, Jerry? Jerry Girl Funk. Jerry yeah. Girl Funk, <laughs> Champagne Soul, you know, that, they got that. They got yeah. that whole that sound that groove going on, but they are a group that is always overlooked. Like most people don't even know who Al Hudson is, so that's a they don't song. they don't. I agree with that. I agree. I feel like and with the Midwest, I think it's it happens in rap especially because it's like they the Midwest is is so vast. I mean the South is vast, obviously, but I feel like 
within the Midwest, they're vast. When you have a St. Louis, a Detroit, you have all the cities in Ohio, you have Chicago. And it's like with that, each of them have their own sound and rap, and it doesn't really have as much of a direct connection to what they created in that funk era. So what happened was basically that the West Coast and even the East, like a lot of folks say Eric Sermon low-key might have been the first to have a G-Funk type of thing because he took – he sampled Roger before the West Coast did when he did You Guys to Chill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did that that song like we love it out here because it felt like what, what we did but yeah. it's like like as you said we kind of give that credit to the west coast but that's all from the midwest that's all from ohio technically with yeah. roger and of course parliament came from jersey and a lot of it came from the bay too a lot of funk from the bay but even the to me the bay funk like um sly and the family stone was more acoustic funk it was it was more yeah. on that like kind of even james brown uh type of feel versus how the the Jericho Funk was that synthesizer. Once those synths came in in those early, early 80s, those Moog synths, like mm-hmm. that's what the West is known for. So when you hear that funky worm type of sample, like that's what we just took and loved the most. So I feel like that does, uh, they all deserve, deserve credit for that. So that is my rewind for the week. And on the flip side of rewind, we have a segment that we call Fast Forward. In this segment, we'll be uh, discussing some new artists that I think everyone should be on the lookout for. All right, so this week I, I have a good one. My girl Robin on Twitter, rshanae722, she hit me up a couple of weeks ago and she was like, yo, have you heard this? I had a suggestion. And it was this artist by the name of Linda Dawn. And oh, oh, after yeah. doing a little more research on her, I found out that she was from the UK. And I have to say this. Is she? Is yeah, she? which blew my mind. These UK artists they are doing it right, like continually. Like, I don't know what they're listening to over there, what's in the water, but their projects are, they seem to be uh, more grounded and more soulful than a lot of the things that come from us in America. But um, she had her debut that came out a year ago, actually. It's called At First Light. The first song I heard was a song called Arise. And Arise, it's so crazy. When it, when I first heard it, you no, know, it blew my mind because I had to, on repeat, because I got chills because it reminded me of something that Patrice Russian would have done. I was going to say Patrice. I was just going to say that. Yeah. I was like, no, it's like the way she layered the background vocals. And then it just, I felt Patrice Russian all over when I listened to it. And then I listened to a song called Move and it sounded like James and Tume. It sounded straight up like 1982. It's something that I hadn't heard anybody do, but I love it when these newer artists, they experiment with their sounds and they, they don't go after what's popular. Like they, you know, she's doing, you can hear an influence from these people, but she's still very much an individual. And I really connect with that because it lets me know that she does listen to music and she studies a little something. Um, But she, yeah, Linda Dawn uh, at first light is the album. Everybody should listen to it. Do yourself a favor and check it out. It's one of those that you just press play, press play, let it ride. No skips. I always get mad because it's it's so short. It's what nine tracks, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, so it goes by short. quick, and I'm like, all right, rewind it. Okay, yeah, that's why I had Run it on it repeat. Yeah, it it's a great, it's a great project. And I was, you know, like you said, like I was shocked to learn she was from the UK. I was like, oh, now, but it made sense when I learned that because I was like, okay, she's okay. she's not doing what everyone else is doing. She's not. And to me, um, it's funny because lately on social media, it's a lot of American versus UK. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to call it beef, but it's just always like shots fired on both sides. I don't know who starts it. I don't really care. I never get into it. Mm-hmm. I've never been to the UK. I don't know enough about 
everything that they have going on there, but all I know is that their music is fire and that they have a, their connection to soul seems to be more pure than what it is in America, like you said. And yeah. it's been that way. I mean, even going back to the 90s, even with the acid jazz era, they've always had a connection to what was older. They've always kind of done their own thing. But it's like listening to, to artists like her, for one, it's funny because you can't hear the accent in most of these artists' music. Oh. But as soon as you see an interview, it's just like it's just like when you watch um like the actors who are in like Snowfall and in um in in All American. It's like they can master American accents when needed, but whenever they talk in interviews, it's like that's you, Idris Elba, the same way. Same, no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's I don't know what it is that they can do that. It's like they can speak, but when they speak, it's it's full on British accent. They're using the it's, cockney it's Jeffrey slang. the Butler on Fresh yeah. Prince when they're talking. Like when they're yeah. singing, you can't yeah. tell, and that's one of the things that I love about a lot of them um, is that they they're able to do that. They have that duality where they can switch it up. Um, because I think even uh, LMA does it sometimes. With, LMA with for singing. sure, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. she's from where? And then you hear her speak, and you're like, oh, okay, it's making sense. Um, Amy Winehouse sure. did it a lot. Um, Winehouse, for yeah, sure. She's you know, legendary with it. And Karen Wheeler did it. You know, these they, they come from um, England or the UK in general. And I think they just have a greater appreciation for soul music because they're not really focused on our hits and our charts. Like, it if you look hot. Back at yeah, this, that's true. Yeah, look back at the history of... Uh, the charts and you see the difference in America where some people found great success, but then over in England, you know, you know, they, it's like, okay, but there are people who mm-hmm. tried to release albums here. Nobody paid attention to, but you go to England. It's like, if you were to come to the, to the, to the East coast and you know, like we're playing, like you said, I want to thank you or nice over Egypt. It's like, it's like going to a different city and realizing, Oh wow. I've never heard this. Like this isn't something that we party to. And I yeah, think they yeah. do that in the UK. I can see it being that way because I do plan to go out there soon enough. And yeah, Linda Dawn is fire. Uh, my first time hearing her was from Funk Street. I mm. forget who it was who actually recommended, but it great song. Of course, they called me speaking to Jerry Curl Funk. It had that feel to it. It, it did, yeah. So I definitely rock with her. Uh, my artist for this week is actually named Blast. It's spelled B L X S T. So he's a, a a new newer artist from from LA, and he has a sound that it's. I guess he's one of these, you know, one of the modern artists that you don't know if you call him a rapper or a singer, but he's technically a singer because he's not really rapping. He has a rap cadence, mm-hmm. a lot of production feels kind of hip hop, but it's like, to me, I think he has a great trajectory uh, ahead of him because he, unlike a lot of the modern super LA rappers who just aren't going to make it <laughs> too far beyond the West Coast because their sound is just too, too regional, mm-hmm. he has a very melodic sound. So he's very melodic. And kind of an R&B feel as far as the content even. So even if you want to compare him to Ty Dolla Sign, Ty probably uses more rap references, more of a rap style, even more rap um, rap content and lingo. But I feel like Blast is more – women love him. I'll say that. So women just love mm. the, the content that he has. There's a lot of the stuff that he says. He has a lot of quotables. To me, whenever you start seeing women quote a rapper as their caption and stuff on their Instagram, it's like, all right. It. So, yeah, you made it. So – he has a couple of projects with an artist named Bino Rideau, but he has a couple solo projects as well. And I, I just think it's it's a dope vibe. It's very upbeat. And I love hearing R&B that's upbeat because I feel like the last few years has been so much of a, a vibe thing. All people talk about is the vibe. The vibe, yeah. He makes music that you can kind of two-step to. You can kind of vibe to it more mm-hmm. than just like laid back, driving around vibing. But like at a party, it comes on. You can kind of two-step, sing along to it, snap your fingers to it. So 
I'll definitely say check out Vibe. But one thing that caught that caught me about him is that he has a lot of live guitars, and I think it's actually him playing the guitars too. So a lot of his production mm. has him playing the guitar on it, and it's always a good 98, 100 BPM vibe. And I think he's up next. I feel like some folks have tried to compare him to Roddy, and he's way different from Roddy. Roddy is a melodic rapper, just like in the Young Thug and Future Lang. But mm. if you ask me to compare Blast to anybody, I mentioned Ty Dolla Sign, but he's different from him. I would say it's probably the most similar to him just because it is that kind of like like rap singer style. But he has his own lane, I feel like. So I think he's one of the ones who's up next. Yeah, I love what you said. You were uh, talking about, you know, sometimes people are too regional in their sound. And yeah, yeah. yeah this is very true. Um, I would be interested in hearing how, you know, once he gains a little popularity, the public overall receives him because is where is he from? Do you know? He's from LA. Yeah. He's from LA. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because I think a lot of the, a lot of times over here on the East coast, some of the sounds out of LA, they don't really make sense all of the time to us. Cause it's not something we, yeah. like we vibe into. And it's probably the same. You know, I mean, you know, more than anybody, you're the professional, you're the DJ. I know you switch it up when you go city to city. You, you have to. Yeah. yeah. Even crowd, to, even crowd to crowd, like generational. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Spell his name again. Uh, B L X S T. Yeah. I feel like he, I think his music is definitely set for that early vibe. So he has, he has that perfect vibe of like when you walk into the club and you just like getting drinks. He he doesn't make like the, the trap or like the high energy stuff, but it's um and even his features, he has dope features where he, he's on the chorus and he just has he has the type of style that every verse he has feels like a chorus. So you, you can just take mm. any four bars of his verses and make it into a chorus and it's gonna work. And from this, we're gonna go into a break. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna go into two two of our um following segments called the drop and also our beat match so all the artists that we're mentioning to you we do have a playlist we have a playlist available for you so look inside the notes of the podcast and we have the link for that for that playlist the spotify playlist with all the artists that we've been mentioning go ahead and check that out we'll be right back while we're taking a quick break please head over to apple Podcasts and subscribe rate and review the show this helps other people find the podcast. All right, welcome, welcome. We're back here, Behind the Wheels, episode four, Artistic and EB in the building. So uh, this next segment is called The Drop. It could be a current topic that's going on, or it could be an email that we get from one of our viewers and listeners, I should say. And this one here is coming from one of our listeners, and they emailed us regarding something that they saw on Twitter. The email goes as following. Good evening, Ron and EB. I hope this email finds you well. I am emailing you both regarding a topic for the show about 90s R&B being repurposed or imitated by newer artists and how the quest for that sound often hinders the originality, authenticity, or even creative growth of and for newer artists. I recently came across a tweet that spoke to this and I shared it with Ronald, that's me, if y'all don't realize, artistic Ronald. Anyway, uh, they shared that with, with Ronald. I shared that with Ronald to get his input. However, I would be interested to hear both of your opinions on the topic of 90s music in this decade and where you see its influence going forward. P.S. Love the show and you don't have to mention my name at all. I was going to give you a shout out, but you know who you are, you know. The original tweet comes from Wana's World on Twitter. I'm just not a fan of people who rely on 90s tropes without crafting their own individual sounds and narratives. 
And someone named Karis responded saying, no, but this is a word. I was saying recently there's a cult obsession and reliance on 90s music that we need to healthily detach from, in particular R&B. Obsessed as even I am with that era, it's time for today's artists to craft a new quality sound. And it's time for people to stop holding artists to the preferences of that time. So much went into the sound of that era. Church upbringings, cultural shifts, vocal experimentation, song structure, styles, genre blending. A lot happened at once to create the perfect storm. Asking all that from someone in 2020 is asking them to fake it, in my opinion. Wow. That's, um, <laughs> it's saying a whole lot. And I've echoed a lot of those similar um, feelings in so many different ways the last couple of years. And Wow. So I'm just letting that kind of sink in. So, <laughs> well, I'll say this. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. very glad that somebody wrote in about this because see, there's a couple of things happening right now. What we're seeing is not anything new. Sonically, the majority of the nineties were ripped straight from the seventies. Yeah, yeah. The difference right. is that they were adding different elements. Like they mentioned, they were adding the gospel styles. They were adding the hip hop beats, but they were adding those funk samples. That's why you see, Curtis Mayfield, Osley Brothers, James Brown, George Clinton, the Honey Dippers. Like, that's why you you see them being sampled so much, because a lot of the sound they were getting were people growing up in the 70s. You were here, your parents playing, whatever. But not just the popular radio singles like people are sampling now. Everybody's sampling the popular stuff. But in the 70s, Mm -hmm. if your parents had a turntable and you press play, you're going to wait until the album is done and you flip the album. There's no, oh, we're just listening to the singles. We we totally, totally digest music differently now. Like we we listen to, now most people listen to singles. Back then, people were listening to full albums. So you knew wow. more of what, you know, the element of the music was. You didn't really have a choice in that. And in the 90s, it feels like now a lot of younger artists are really focused and obsessed with the aesthetic of the 90s. In the 90s, yeah, they they wanted that the samples and they wanted that same funk. They wanted the grit, but nobody wasn't running around wearing like bell bottoms and (laughs) nobody wasn't wearing, you know, these afros because they there was also that hip hop influence that they were adding. Now there's nothing to add because they've added it all. So I think the problem is these singers have to find out they have to find a way to be authentic and show their originality it kind of ties in with the grammy conversation we had you did you see tiana taylor you know she was upset because she wasn't nominated and i had to think on that i was like but honestly what do i know about tiana taylor i know she's gorgeous i know she dances i know she's from harlem and i know she's a wife and a mother i don't know who you are as an artist and that's the problem because you are relying on the 90s to be your whole everything. Wow. It can't wow. be a personality trait. You being from Harlem and being, you know, in the 90s, because I don't even know how old she is, but a lot of the people aren't even old enough to have really experienced the 90s. They were just born in the 90s. And that's sure. a whole different sure. lane right there because now you're nostalgic for a time that you were not even around. You didn't even get to so you go into overdrive trying to recreate that because you see the pictures from uh, your parents or your uncles or your aunts and you see, you know, everybody had the hair and the cross colors and you want that because it looked like a great time to be alive, but you don't, you don't know anything about it. You didn't experience that. And then it's that you have to add your own 
way of connecting to a crowd. You have to be authentic in some way, shape or form. I have to know that I'm listening to an artist and not a carbon copy who is just happy that they can celebrate the 90s. Like you can't be obsessed with the music of the 90s, but we're seeing that now. So we're hearing everything sound the exact same. We are. I definitely agree with a lot of that. And I guess I see it two ways, but for the most part, I do agree with everything that you've you've said about that. So one thing on the flip side I can say is that, uh, to summarize it real quick, is that we're getting old. One of my issues with it is that it's done lazily a lot of times. Yeah. Even And even even with rap, even somebody talking about how Meg, I mean, cause it, it's kind of slowly shifting to the 2000s, too, yeah. for rap. Rap is sampling more 2000s stuff, but people were even mentioning with Meg's album, they're like, do you like the song she has, or do you just like the nostalgia of hearing the Webby song that she sampled, or, or Saweetie? Are you happy about the fact that she sampled Blow the Whistle, and you love Blow the Whistle, and Freak a Leak, and, and um, Kaya? And it's that part makes it tricky, too. A lot of times when you hear a, a song that samples a 90s song, it's like you're happy because you enjoy that original song, but it's like it's done so lazily a lot of times. It's done so basic where they're just stripping it down. So it's like it doesn't. it's not going to have the same replay value. It's not going to have the same um, – it's not going to become classic. It's just hot for the day and gone tomorrow. Right. But on that flip side I was talking about, I, I try to picture myself as – because everyone who, who knows my story knows that my dad's a jazz musician and – I grew up going to studios with the George Dukes and then Google Chancellors back in the 80s, Patrice Rushing and all those types. I was mm-hmm. actually able to see them live, see them come up with songs on the spot, jam session style. And when rap became big, they, a lot of them, I'm not going to say who was and who wasn't, because some of them appreciated it. Some of them liked certain parts of it. Like, of course, right. Patrice loved the fact that Will Smith used um, Forgive Me Nots. Mm-hmm. But overall, they just felt like this whole rap and even some of the R&B was just taking what they did, cutting it up, throwing a couple drums on it, looping it. When they spent all this time composing each song, mm-hmm. there was no there was no logic. There was no um, Pro Tools. They were actually handwriting each note that, that was written when they're composing a song. Or if, it's, or if it's a jam session, it's five trained musicians who've been playing these instruments for their entire life. So they're all playing each individual instrument. And a rap producer or, or even R&B producers, to an extent, are just taking this whole creation and just looping it and yeah. singing on top of it. So seeing their perspective, I totally understand why someone who grew up on 60s, 70s, R&B, soul, funk, might have hated rap and hated R&B in that moment that did sample and repurpose purpose what they did. So the difference, of course, there's a million different differences, a million different things, I should say, that happened in that time. You did have a Tony, Tony, Tony who was a live band. You had a mint condition. Mm-hmm. Even when you had the Jodeces and certain artists who had their own original music that was a combination of everything that happened as the tweet explained. That was a great explanation saying that it took those gospel influences. It took uh, the hip hop influence to an extent. It took all these different things and kind of made its own, its own lane. So it wasn't like everything was sampled like Mary J. Yeah. Some of her songs did sound like straight hip hop, but then she did have some original productions as well. So Mm -hmm. SWV the same way, even when you hear like you're always on my mind. I didn't realize as a kid that that was sampling yearning for your love. I had to stop yeah. and listen to it and say, oh, they slowed it down and they mm-hmm. they totally flipped it versus just taking it and looping it. So it was yeah. different. So I do feel a mixture of ways, but overall, I do agree. I think that these R&B artists especially are relying on a lot of these tropes. So I do love how LMA had booed up and some folks almost got tired of it because it was just the biggest big song. It was probably the biggest pure R&B song of the decade that got played yeah. in the club because it was like, 
I mean, it was an original song. And of course, somebody who doesn't know music enough will say, oh, it's sample. Can we talk? I'm like, no, it didn't. It had a similar chord progression, but it's far from a sample. And it took tropes and took elements of the 90s, but it still had a fresh sound to it. But to me, I just love the fact that it was a an actual R&B song that didn't have any rap influence that was big. So yeah. when I hear it done that way, I, I love it. I love hearing it that way. Even, of course, Boot Up, you, you can say the content of, of it is basic. It's called Boot Up. You can say the lyrics aren't that great, which, I mean, the lyrics were not anything special. But I mean, as far as what that, that did in that moment, like, that was one of the only songs of the whole decade that a DJ could play at 1230 when everybody is is lit, lit, right after a hot trap song and say, you know what, I'm going to reset. And even the guys are singing along to it. Like, even Beyonce's yeah. biggest club songs were not the R&B sounding songs like Love on Top. I love Love on Top, but... Drunken Love was much bigger for her. Formation yeah. was much bigger in the club because it had a hip-hop influence to it. So I do feel like if R&B artists can kind of say, okay, we love the 90s, but can we take it and build on it? Because that's what the 90s did. They built the 90s on took the 80s yeah. and 70s and built on that sound, and it, it finally evolved more and more. So that's what I'm looking forward to with that. I think, and I have to say this because I, I think it's always important that we say this when we talk about the state of R&B today, that there are some amazing artists who are still making great music and they don't rely sure. on 90s or the 90s sampling or any aesthetic to, you know, push out quality music. They just aren't paid attention to. So anybody yeah. who, who says anything about, um, oh, all we're seeing now is everybody's doing the same thing. No, they're people. You just have to go a bit further and look you know, out of, outside of your norm sometimes, you know, sure, you, if, sure. if you're listening to top 40 all the time, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to get that because that's, mm-hmm. that's hot right now. I totally agree. I feel like that's, that's the main thing because even some of the artists that we mentioned in the previous episodes, like Devin Morrison, I always listen to him and yeah, yeah some of his songs feel super nineties, but it's still evolving on it. Like he has mm-hmm. the main title track busting. Yeah. It has a Devante feel to it, the way it comes in, but he's going even more gospel than, than, than Devante would go. Mm-hmm. But just hearing hearing those type of artists and even uh, even some of the, the European artists that we mentioned, they, they do have certain elements do come from the 90s and 2000s, but they have their own originality added to it. So that's where I, that's where I think it should go. I feel like it's nothing wrong with being a fan of 90s, but it does have to evolve and become more than that. And it's it's funny that you speak about fashion, too, because even though this, this episode is not about fashion, one thing I've, I've, I've joked and said is that. Whenever we, we go to a 90s party, we wear 90s clothes. A 2000s mm-hmm. party, we, we wearing jerseys and do-rags and this and that. In the future, if we have a 2010s party, we're going to be wearing 90s clothes. It's going to look like a 90s party. Yeah. yeah it's like the 2010s did not have their own identity when it came to fashion. And it kind of shows in the R&B, too, because R&B had to kind of come back. And I think what's happening, too, is that R&B was dormant. It was never dead. It, it just became kind of like the um, the older crowd loved the R&B artists that, were, that they grew up on from the eighties, nineties, two thousands. But for the young, the young crowd, the youth did not really have a strong R&B presence until the last year or two. So we are right. seeing the Chloe and Halle types coming through. We're seeing the Victoria Monet's coming through. And I, I can't imagine what they're going to have in four or five years if they keep on developing. Yeah. I mean, there's, and there's also just that disconnect with, you know, growing up in the eighties or the nineties, if you're listening to music as a family, like that's the way we digest the music. Like if you're in the car, everybody's listening to the radio the yep. same station. If you're in the house, everybody's listening to whatever album is playing. Now we kind of curate our own experiences. Where everybody got headphones, yeah, we had phones, iPods yeah. for a while. Now we got iPhones and we got Spotify, we got Tidal, we got Apple Music. You know, people, everybody's curating their own music experience. So they're really not being introduced or even exposed to anything other than that same 90s sound because that's that's what 
that's what is hit. That's what they like. I definitely agree. I think that it's something that we do need to actually evolve past a little bit. But I do have some faith right now. The last two, three years of R&B have given me faith that the future does have a lot to hold. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And speaking of 90s R&B, whoo, we're going to go ahead and conclude this episode. The last segment is going to be called The Beat Match. And with The Beat Match, what we do is take two artists. In the future, we might even do two albums or whatever it is. But we generally just take two artists and compare them and say... Who would come up on top? One of the main debates we see all the time, we've been seeing it since the 90s, is mm-hmm. Boys to Men and Jodeci. It's one of those that I feel can go either way. It's really about your preference. You're my co-host. I'll go ahead and let you choose. Who do you want to roll with? So in my in my humble opinion, these are two of the definitive male R&B groups from the 90s. It's, it's yeah. either Jodeci or it's either Boys to Men. Like, Easy. It, there's no in-between. There's no, oh, well, what about? No, the, these are the people that started the 90s and who, you know, had great careers through the 90s. Yeah. I love a good challenge. And I have to say, Jodeci is one of my top all time, like favorite R&B groups. But Boys to Men. I got to go with Boys to Men. They got this. I was going to pick Jodeci, period. Oh, like, that's, that's okay. That's, that's, cool. that's cool. That's my group, too. But, yeah. you know, I'm going to win this because Boys to Men got it. So, when I, in terms of, like, American music, and you always think of these cities, we were talking about people attribute certain sounds to the West Coast, certain sounds to the East Coast. I go back and forth about which American city has contributed the most to hmm. R&B. And Philadelphia is always in the top three. Always. Sure. Going back, you know to the 70s philadelphia is always in the top three and boys to men helped to keep that legacy alive they continually contributed to philly soul and that's been since their debut in 1991 they they were doing like a doo-wop style you know old school quartet but they just put it over hip-hop beat so they they brought harmony to hip-hop yeah, yeah. in their own way they brought harmony to hip-hop um Each of the members was independently talented vocally. You could hear Wanye sing, you could hear Sean, you could hear Nathan, you could hear Michael. And you're like, oh, they can really sing. You know, that's not, they didn't rely on that complete boys to men sound, even though they crafted their own sound to carry them. And Cooley High Harmony, that a classic debut album. Like it, first of all, Cooley High, the movie, if anybody is unfamiliar, it's a movie from 75. Um, I actually have a friend named after Cochise, but oh, wow. uh, yeah, it's crazy. But uh, one of the songs they re-recorded for their debut, which was named Cooley High Harmony, was It's So Hard to Say Goodbye from that movie. Yeah. And that was a huge hit for, for them. I mean, I would dare to say that their version is the definitive version of the song now. Like even going back, oh, Pop sure. Ultra has made their version. Like, come on, Gina from Martin, Buy My Mama Bird. You know, when <laughs> Gina killed the bird, that they sang It's So Hard to Say it's so hard to say goodbye at the end of the episode. Um, and outside of that, I mean, Motown Philly was a beast in its own right. They also had uh, the Countdown Ooh Ah song that Beyonce got for Countdown, yeah, Countdown. And then they had Please Don't Go. Everybody loves Motown Philly because it's like a quintessential New Jack swing joint. But Ooh Ah and Please Don't Go, they're like Quiet Storm staples. I mean without that we wouldn't have beyonce's countdown a lot of people listening to this podcast right now might not have been born if not for those two songs i could make this entire argument based on their first album alone wanye's voice it is one of the most iconic voices from the 90s you know when you hear wanye running and riffing and and you know head head shaking ray charles and it up stevie wondering it up you know when wanye hits the stage when he takes a mic that's what you're gonna get you're gonna get theatrics and then you got michael michael had that deep 
tenor voice that everybody loved on any song. He met, he was Jill Scott before Jill Scott. He was doing spoken word when nobody else was doing <laughs> spoken word. They would make a special part of the song to break it down just so he could, yeah, baby, you know I love you and all them times I ran you over with my car, I didn't mean it. You know, all that stuff. That group as a whole, I mean, and then Nathan and Nathan, Nathan and Sean, they're equally talented. But the two people that stand out is just Juan Gay and Michael, just because they have those very distinct voices. I definitely agree with a lot of the things that you said as far as them being, they're more uh, vocally talented. I'll give them that for sure. They came out the gate. Uh, they had a classic album. They had two classic albums for sure. But yeah. after that, it kind of just went, I don't know what happened with them. They just kind of lost their overall, like, I don't know if it was the swag or just the air changed so much or... I can't say what it was, but as far as Jodeci goes, so just Devontae Swain, one of the best producers of the 90s. Um, I'll give you that. Basically uh, coming from the whole Timbaland camp and and putting Timbaland and Missy on, of course, and, along with Teddy Riley. And, you know, it's, it's all that, that same connection in, in Virginia, Carolina, up to New York. They had that East Coast type of sound on lock with that R&B. And Devontae, to me, I know... He basically started off like, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeff Red, uh, Giving My Love to You. Of course. Yeah, so that song was kind of like the blueprint for everything Jodeci did. He had them on it singing uh, the vocals. I'm not sure how many of them were singing on there, if it was just Casey and JoJo, but that song kind of laid the, blu- the blueprint for what they had on that first album, The Diary of a uh, Mad Band. And from there, I feel like they just kind of ran with it. I feel like, actually not, not the first album. first album is Forever My Lady, of course. Right, second That's album. The debut. Yeah, so I feel like with Jodeci... They just, their sound was so much stronger. They had such a unique sound to me. I feel like Boyz II Men was kind of reliant on the producers that they work with when it came to their actual music. So when Babyface wrote their song, you know, that's a Babyface type song, you know? And it's like, as far as those songs, yeah, I'll make love to you is cool, but who actually wants to make love to that song? Uh, any girl I know would rather hear Freaking You. And if, if it comes to, to you know, if, if it comes to we mess up because we guys, we going to mess up. They don't really want to hear on bended knee. They want to hear cry for you. They want us to, you know, get down with it, you know. And and like Fiendin was just such a powerful um, song that had, I mean, the allegory. It, low key, it might not have been about Fiendin for the love as if it was a drug. It might have been about drugs. Who knows? The way that they are, I can't call it. But either way. I think it was. I think it was too. But when you hear these songs, it's like the gospel influence that they show was just so strong. And KC was one of the best uh, lead singers, not because he was the best vocalist, but because he had such a strong presence. When you hear KC sing on these songs, it's like, you know immediately that that's KC. And he was influential to where he led to, of course, Drew Hill and, and Cisco got their whole sound and style from Jodeci. Some folks who are bigger Drew Hill fans might not agree, but if you heard, if you grew up on Jodeci, then you heard Drew Hill, you probably thought it was them. Like even Jodeci said that they heard their songs and KC was like, Hey, when, when do we record this? So yeah, I to it me, was it's, yeah. So it's like, I think they had more influence, even though Boyz II Men was a bigger commercial group. And I feel like when it comes to just songs, if you're picking out just a top 15, 20 songs, I mean, how many artists can say they remade Stevie and made it possibly better when you hear lately? Like you can, you can say that there's other groups. You could say, um, ribbon in the sky intro might've been up there for, for a Stevie remake, but lately is one of those that, you know, it's 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 hard to top that. And if you talk about forever, my lady, no, you you made some great points seriously. Because uh, Jodeci is great, and KC is one of my favorite voices. I mean, this is gospel influence on top of sweat, on top of probably cocaine, and on top of whatever else. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
but it, yeah. it, it's a strong presence, like you said. But they can't win against Boys to Men for three reasons. Why is that? Number one, again, each member of the group is not vocally as strong as the members of Boys to Men. Jodeci just doesn't, you know, Casey and JoJo are great. Yeah. And that's it. Casey and JoJo are great. Number two, Jodeci had great slow jams. You named them. Fiending and Freaking You, Forever My Lady. But their up-tempo songs sucked. Like, Boys the, the Men. Yeah, yeah, Listen, yeah. Boys the Men mastered both right out the gate. They had yeah. they, they had people dancing and making love. I mean, most people can't, if we're being honest, most people can't name 20 Jodeci songs. They can't even name three up-tempo songs, if we're really being honest. Like, Get On Up, yeah, but that was later Jodeci. Shout out to Quincy Jones for the sample. That was amazing. That was fine, but yeah. that's the only, and that was their third album. So people can't really name any songs you know, Jodeci up-tempo songs. And number three, Boyz II Men is just winning off of their hits alone. They had Motown Philly, Please Don't Go, End of the Road, I'll Make Love to You, One Sweet Day, On Bended Knee, Water Runs Dry, A Song from Mama from the Soul Food soundtrack, Four Seasons of Loneliness, and since this is Christmas season, Let It Snow with Brian McKnight. And if if you've been anywhere on the internet in the past week, you saw that they just revamped that and everybody still sounds just as good as they did then in 1994, 95, whenever they recorded it. Jodeci doesn't have that. Jodeci can't win because they don't have the hits. And I'm not even going to say 20 songs. I'm going to say people can't name 10 songs, 10 hits from Jodeci. To me, I feel like, so it's one of those arguments about hits versus like the jams, the songs that people love and react to. I'll say this, especially when it comes to DJing, like, Aside from Motown Philly, that's the only song from Boyz II Men that's going to get a, a reaction from a crowd. Period. What? Nothing at a club or at a party. So, so here's the thing with Jodeci: like, yeah, they didn't have the upbeat, but come, come and talk to me is top three for that mid tempo, right next to like a Can We Talk, right next to a, to a yeah. So especially the remix. So it's like that's one of the first prototype songs for that that hip hop soul where it's like. The hip-hop drums came from EPMD, and Diddy did that, and that's when he invented the remix, basically. So you get that. But you could drop, at a slow jam segment, you can go eight songs straight, Jodeci, and people going to vibe. So you can go Fiending. You can go, of course, they're freaking you. If you go, if you had a wedding, you're going to go Forever My Lady. I mean, all my life is... At a wedding, though? I mean, aside from the first line, it's still a love song. <laughs> it is a love song, though. Shout out to Quincy and them, and shout out to... Uh, I'll be sure, and uh, you know, rest in peace to you know, rest in peace, Kim, Kim Porter. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but and I feel like, and also I'll say this: if, if we're doing a battle, if we can count the features, if we can count the Casey and JoJo music separately, then it's a it's a battle because they got songs with, with Tupac. They, they they didn't have New Jack Swing, but they got How Do You Want It. They got yeah, Toast It Up. Yeah, they got those yeah. tracks. They got the uh, you know, then they, they had their own songs. They had Life with Casey mm-hmm. and JoJo. They had those classics. So I feel like. If you bringing them type songs into it, then you know it's it's a whole different story. They had Stay. Stay is one of the best begging songs ever. I don't know what he did to her, but if you put on Stay, it's like you know she she's not going nowhere. So for that, when it comes to just songs that hit your soul harder, I'm gonna have to go Jodeci. So you know you make you make such a great argument. You really do. Um, I just want to remind you of this one song, End of the Road. And I don't know if you remember hey. from the Boomerang soundtrack I, I, I remember. in 1992. Yeah. It kind of went worldwide. You know, it's set a new record and it stayed at number one on billboard for like 13 weeks. And then 
Oh, who broke that? Oh, they broke that record. They broke their own record with I'll Make Love to You because that was 14 weeks in number one. And then they broke it again with One Sweet Day with Mariah. And remember the first beat match we had, Mary and Mariah, and I won because I argued for Mariah. We, we, we're back to that because One Sweet Day became like everybody's song. Everybody loved that song. I mean, I didn't really love it too much, but everybody That's loved it. That's my point. That's Listen, my point. They, everybody they loved it. Listen, they, hits, but they were iconic. They, they were, were iconic, iconic, but like, I'll Make Love to You is a song that you hear at karaoke in Koreatown now. Like, I'm but, not trying okay. to sing and play. You but know? we're talking about, in terms of like artistry and in terms of like who has made the most impact, Jodeci has made impact on the culture because they took that hip hop and they, you know, added it to R&B and they had that bad boy image. Yeah. You know, image but, yeah. you know um, on, if, if you're talking about like, billboard charts and okay so basically what we do each episode for beat match we have our producers melissa and the lady they go ahead and they they talk behind the scenes and they go ahead and like give their opinion on who won the beat match so just to just to give y'all a heads up the lady is from philadelphia so <laughs> wait well, we might be trying to get some points we from never have to give that disclaimer before I'm, I'm though putting, hey I'm, I'm putting that on blast you know <laughs> hey but we'll see what they say we, we, we are gonna see Decide. So we're going to go ahead and let Melissa and the lady de- deliberate and let's see who comes on top of this one. I'm from Philly and I tried not to be biased, but EB had a really good argument. So I got to go with my hometown boys to men between the hits and the, they had a Vegas residency. He didn't even say that, but I don't know that too many other groups can do that. Um, that's just a bonus in my mind. That is not what solidified the argument, though. I think they're current hits today, the ones I still want to hear, is it's more of the nostalgia of Boys to Men. I think Jodeci was a huge moment, and they kind of changed the game in a lot of ways when it came out. But once you started going into features and conversations around Casey and JoJo, I'm like, I, the argument stops, the comparison stops. Group to group, Boys to Men still holding it down. And I've seen them in person several times, and it just solidified it for me. All right, as expected. All right, all right. So let's see. Let's see. Melissa was okay. good. <laughs> so for me, um, I think that boys to men, they're like oat milk, like mm. wholesome. I put it in my milk. Oh, they're adorable. <laughs> mix, mix it in with my hot chocolate. You know, it's like a, a comforting thing. And then Jodeci, they're more like bourbon. Like, I listen to that when I'm trying to get loose, you know. Hey. Grown, adult, sexy. And so I don't, like, the comparison of the two, I think it's a hard comparison. But I'm going just based on what you two presented today. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry to who you guys think I'm gonna say sorry to. Maybe. You gotta, you gotta I feel like you're gonna say sorry, sorry to, sorry to this man. I'm sorry to artistic. Oh god. <laughs> I think boys to men have brought this as as a group. They 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 have when I think of the nineties, if if one like boy group comes to mind, it would be boys to men. You like oat milk, I guess. Oat milk. I guess you must. You must be vegan then, okay? And you must be I'm on a, uh, dairy. I'm allergic to dairy. <laughs> yeah, you must not be drinking alcohol at this time. You must be on a on a cleanse right now. So it's okay. Okay. I'm, I'm in quarantine. I don't have anybody to share. 
See? My cognac wit. So, Ooh. you know. <laughs> all right. All right. You fancy. I get it. I, all right. So, EB went ahead and, yeah, all right, whatever. He yeah, I, I, I did that. I won. And, I, I, again, I just got to stress one more time. I love Jodeci. And, and Melissa is totally right. That is the bourbon. And and that is what I'm going to. But in terms of, like, a group, you know, Boyz II Men got it. I just want to thank uh, Nathan, Wanye, Sean, and Michael um, for making this all possible. I'd also like to thank Casey, JoJo, Dalvin, and Devante for not releasing good up-tempo music for the majority of their career. I do appreciate that. I I, I feel like it helped aid me in this win. Um, you know, Boyz II Men is a classic group. And you mentioned them, you're talking about big names. Like, you're looking at the history of music on the charts. You're looking at Elvis Presley, the Beatles, Mariah Carey, and Boyz II Men. So they had that kind of impact. So I knew I was going to win. But I also would like to thank Artistic for... Um, you know, just being graceful with his loss. You know, we don't see that enough in the black community. Among black men, you know, they don't. We don't know how to lose. That is like, this should be over. Ain't, ain't it well, over? Thank you for that win. Thank you for that okay. win. I guess, yeah, I guess you could have that one. You know what? To our listeners out there, y'all tell us who wins. You know, we're both on social media. So I am at DJ RTISTIC and EB. What is what is your Twitter so they can see your nonsense? I am. <laughs> See the winner. I am a EB for Prez. That's EB the number four, and then Prez is P R E Z is in zebra. EB for Prez. Eric B for president. No mistakes in eighty six. It's time to build. All right. Okay. Oh, eighty six. Okay. I feel it. I feel it. So, with that, I think we're gonna go ahead and conclude this episode. So once again, stay tuned. We are available on Apple and Spotify uh, podcasts. We have a playlist that's gonna have the best music that we've been mentioning today from past present and the future so make sure to go ahead go ahead and follow us on social media i am at dj r-t-i-s-t-i-c that's on instagram and twitter i'm also on twitch djing live for you i play a lot more jodeci than boys to men just to give you a heads up you know but as you should as you should yeah but go ahead and check that out i'm at twitch.tv slash r-t-i-s-t-i-c 310 eb let them know where, where you'll be at yeah, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, EB for Prez, EB the number four, Prez is P-R-E-Z. I want to thank you all for listening. That is episode four. Episode five is coming up soon. We're going to be dis- discussing a couple of different things. A quick quick preview, I'll say, that is that we're going to be mentioning Bruno Mars' 24 Karat Magic album. It turned four years old a couple of weeks ago. And if you all have any opinions about that album, let us know, and we might present some of your um, you know, comments to the next podcast. But once again, thank you all for tuning in. A salute to our producers, Melissa and the lady, even though y'all voted the wrong way. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. <laughs> they, were, they were correct. They were correct. All right. Well, we'll see you about next time. And thank you all for listening. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Muntz and the lady, Yahuma Sek. It's edited by Melissa D. Muntz. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.